Hey guys, it's Alan from the Handbelt Podcast and Revival Cycles. We're putting out some podcasts here. This is a podcast that we recorded with one of the engineers here at Revival Cycles. His name is Chris Auerbach. He's affectionately referred to as Ted. So I'm calling this the Ted Talk uh, with Ted. He'd gone on a vacation for, what, like two weeks, I think, uh, on his dirt bike. and uh, An adventure ride, if you will. And I made him wait like four or five days after he got back to even tell me about it because I wanted to record it because, I don't know, it's a good excuse for us to all sit down together, have a whiskey, chat a little bit, and just kind of see where the conversation takes us. We're trying to get better about recording these on video as well. So if you like this podcast, go over to our YouTube channel. Just put it into YouTube Revival Cycles and you'll find the Handbelt Podcast. We'll have a video of this up. It may not be that exciting, but at least you get to see the players involved. Hey, guys. This is the Handbuilt Podcast. I'm Alan at Revival Cycles. I'm Andy James Dio. Chris Auerbach, also known as Ted. And I'm Stefan, also known as Beardy Troll. <laughs> He's getting beardier. Uh, we're all uh, back. We haven't done a podcast in quite some time. I did one during the Handbuilt show with some random players that were in town, uh, and it was fun if not a bit haphazard, but uh, we're going to try to take this a little more seriously and get into our podcast. Everyone in this room works at Revival Cycles. Ted is a new player in our peanut gallery. Not a new player at Revival, but a new player with a microphone in front of him. How long have you been here, Ted? It'll be three years in July. Oh my God. How is that wow. possible? <laughs> we're still in the honeymoon phase with you. That's how we feel. <laughs> <laughs> um but the excuse to do this podcast today was that uh, we realized doing a podcast is good for us to sit down and talk to one another without any customer stuff, any motorcycles, any real business motives, just to kind of hang out. And for two weeks now, um, are you been back two weeks or a week and a half? A uh, week and a half, yeah. So Ted Auerbach, not Chris, took a, uh, a, a long motorcycle trip. And came back a week and a half ago, and I have refused to talk to him about it because I wanted to sit down as an excuse to do a podcast with him to talk about it then, now. So this is it. This podcast is all about Auerbach. Yeah, you haven't let me share any stories with you. I, I did just. I wanted to hear it fresh for the first time <laughs> when I could actually concentrate instead yeah. of going, hearing some of it and then going, all right, I gotta go, I gotta go. Like there's always something going on here. Well, and then Andy and I kind of needed to jump in because we don't, we haven't been able to go on any adventure rides in a while. So this is total vicarious yeah, enjoyment. Actually, probably a better point. And I haven't talked to Ted about it because I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I've had time to make my stories better. So well, by the time it, it gets to you, they'll be really awesome. Well, it's kind of like that whole like I'm the married guy and you're the single guy. So, you know, I want to I want to live through you. I want you to tell me all about what's going on out there in the crazy world of motorcycle adventure riding that I haven't had in a while. I haven't gone anywhere. I mean, I guess I've had a few. It's motorcycle trips, but not off-road like you did, and solitary trips at that. So, anyway, tell us, where'd you go? What'd you do? How long were you gone? Uh, so, the basis of the trip was wanting to go to the Grand Canyon, and uh, I decided to stitched together a couple of the backcountry discovery routes right um so there's a new mexico bdr arizona bdr and then wait uh, what's wait, wait, bdr wait, wait. yeah yeah so bdr backcountry Sorry, discovery back, route right yeah yeah exactly backcountry discovery routes are uh developed by a group it's a non-profit organization that does uh actually i don't know if it's a non-profit actually 
Um, they are an organization that puts together. Let me guess: if they are, if they're not nonprofit, they're probably still not profitable. So either way, they're a nonprofit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what's crazy is they put together these amazing maps, GPS tracks. Um, they do little short videos. All the waypoints are there, and the only thing they charge for is the full documentary. If you want to buy their video, otherwise you can download the tracks, download the maps, everything. And by tracks, you mean. Like download GPS coordinates and the routes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I, I kind of put my own route together of the New Mexico version, the Arizona version to get to the Grand Canyon. Uh, from there, picked up some other tracks. There's a great community of adventure riders that share all of their maps and their routes and all the points of interest. So I built my own, kind of got to that point, and then I left it open where I wanted to go after the Grand Canyon. I'm kind of jealous. I'm sitting here thinking about like how organized you are. If I'm going to go on an adventure ride, or what little I've done, it's like, all right, well, I'm going to head out to West Texas. And all I'm thinking about is what I'm putting in my bag and that my bike's going to make it. That, that's kind of like any ride with you, actually. You know, it's like, wait, does the motorcycle even run? Yeah, I've had that ride. <laughs> <laughs> Alan wants to go for a ride. It's show, it, show up at the shop at the agreed-upon meeting time and then make the bike that he wants to ride run. Mm -hmm. It's kind of amazing. It's because yeah. you guys are such amazing fail. mechanics mm -hmm. that I just know it's going to be okay. That and we have a, a large plethora of motorcycles to choose from. It's like, oh, that one didn't run. Put that one back up. <laughs> Let's get another one. Sure. I mean, I, I'll That's make happened the, more than once. I'll make when joke. you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Well, I know. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Actually, being solo makes the, the planning much more important. So. Now, I did go on a six-month ride on my, motor, my motorcycle, and I did prep a bit for it. You know, I picked my most reliable motorcycle, a KTM, and I put racks on it, and I put Pelican cases, and I had all that stuff. But I'm saying more about, like, the... I guess I didn't... I had a GPS thing when I went to Europe, but that was it. There was no, like, which direction am I going to go, right? I mean, I had a general direction, whether it was north, south, east, or west, but what roads or any of that. So, actually, you talking about it makes it sound easier emotionally to go off-road and head somewhere, is what I mean. Yeah, I found having... Uh, even a daily goal, like mm -hmm. where I knew where I wanted to camp or at least a location um, to get to each day. And so I knew the mileage and it actually allowed me to, you know, spend more time stopping at like points of interest or viewpoints or even doing video and photos, you know, it just gives you a little more flexibility there. So what drives you on the ride? Because for me on a ride like that, it's like, okay, when can I get to the most, the next comfortable bed and nice shower and meal? What is driving you forward? Because you, are you packing all your food and tent and bed and all that so you don't care where you end up? Or Right, exactly. I camp off the bike. so It's I, points of interest for you. Yeah, it's points of interest. There's um, just different landscapes and stuff like that to get to points that you wouldn't be able to get to in a car. Or if you had to hike there, you know, it's a 10-mile hike, whereas on a bike that can be, you know, a half-hour ride. Right. So having the camping gear, I can get to... Where I want, if I can't get to a nice hotel or a town, I just pull over, set up the tent, sleep. What, what uh, percentage of your ride was uh, on dirt versus pavement? The planned route was about 80% off-road. Um, this year, with the weather and all of that, the uh, forest fires were really bad. So I ended up like backtracking and doing it a lot of rerouting. So it was about... 50-50, maybe a little less off-road. Yeah, but hang on one second. Yeah. We should clarify something. You were planning to do 80% off-road. Now, what bike were you planning to do this with? So the, 
The bike is a... Prepare yourself. <laughs> the onslaught of judgment is about to befall you. Uh, a, a bike is a very personal choice. No, no, I, I bring this up just so that the listeners can kind of contextually put this so tell in... Tell us about in, your sexuality. Yeah. It's not so personal. The, 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 this bike in particular is a bit unusual. It's a 2007 BMW G650X Moto. <laughs> I've rehearsed that so many times to not mess it up. But it's a bike that BMW built for three years. Uh, it's got a single cylinder, 650 Rotax motor. Uh, it's very under stress, so it's very reliable compared to some of the other you know, KTMs and CRFs and stuff like that. Sorry, I, I feel like I know about every motorcycle in the world, and I have talked about your trip. And every time I've talked about it, someone's like, what's he riding? I was like, he's on a BMW someone blah right. blah blah because yeah. I don't even know it it's such a rare model that now BMW did make some appropriate models for that type of trip what was it like the, uh, the GS650 G or something like that so were they making the GS650 at the same time they're making this G650 not that I'm aware of they built the the G650 and then the replacement for that was really the F800 from what I understand but right so, but you were saying 2000, what year was this bike? Uh, 07 to 09. So they stopped making the GS650 by the 07? Yeah. Sorry, I thought you would know. You Come think on. I'd know. I, I'm actually yeah. not a BMW guy at all. I've always ridden uh, more of the Japanese brand Suzuki. Suzuki, yeah. Yeah, and so I got into the BMW just because I found this small, uh, you know, lightweight single cylinder compared to like the GSs where they're more of a touring bike. Okay. But All this right. thing, this thing started out as an off-road incapable machine, because it was basically a supermoto, like as a sumo bike, like supermotard, best case, right? Right, absolutely. The uh, the bike comes in three different flavors, actually: a enduro, and then a more of like a touring bike, and then mine was the supermoto. So that is a, you know, cast wheels, 17-inch street tires. That's the way it came. I bought this one because uh, the other versions are very hard to find. We're in the middle of Texas. There's not a lot of dual sport riding. And so finding one is difficult. So I found this one, had to have it, bought it, and then set to uh, make it appropriate. So you were specifically looking for the G650. Yeah, I had seen the other versions called an X-Challenge. Right. And yeah, I'd seen them, and they just seemed really cool. And when this one popped up on Craigslist for cheap, I, I had to buy it. Andy, did you know that? Did, did I know? That he was looking for that bike? I didn't know he was looking for that specific yeah. bike, no. No, okay, all right. And now when you when you go for this specific bike, you, you're able to do that because you know a few things about building some bikes because well, you do have a day job after all. And you more or less were kind of trying to build this thing into basically an X-Challenge. Is that a fair... Yeah, the X-Challenge, the biggest difference is the wheels. So they run a, a 1821-spoked wheel, which is dirt bike. Yeah, yeah. dirt bike, better for off-road. And uh, I wanted to convert to that, so obviously doing this almost daily here and having the machines to do it and the capability, it was a no-brainer so, that I could do that. So the suspension is basically the same? Um, on the X-Challenge, they have the air shock, and a lot of people actually replace that for a coil spring. And so the X Moto comes with the technically the better suspension. Cool. Okay, this we're getting nerdy into it, but well, I'm, no, we're I'm getting curious. super into it. But I, this yeah. is all part of the planning, in my opinion, because I we got to watch all the planning that happened, and I think that that's something that's really easy to gloss over. Is that like half the trip actually happens in the months before the trip, while you get to prepare everything. 
Sorry, I'm thinking about my trip again. It's like, hey, I've got a KTM. I'll take that. <laughs> there was no like. I'm I'm just thinking about inappropriate wheel sizes and tire choices and, and my uh my off road riding. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You've got a Tiger. I've got a Tiger with 17s, and and I've ridden it off road with street tires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you've got the low mount fender. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so all right. So you chose this bike knowing there's not a lot of support for aftermarket parts for it either so you're not going to go buy a rack yeah i'm not going to buy a rack um the fuel tanks they have are 800 dollars. there's one of them so <laughs> same thing i being able to fab my own stuff so i went in and built a bash plate and a luggage rack and what else uh got hand guards for it because of course the bmw hand guards are ridiculously expensive Okay. So yeah, and fairly ineffective, if I was going to guess. Most factory handguards, the the best place yeah. for them is in the garbage. So so you get all this stuff, and then you've got on your pack, you've got tent, food. What what do you got? An uh, extra fuel tank. Yeah, I've got a Rotopax auxiliary fuel tank, uh, tent, sleeping bag, and then change of clothes. A couple, you know, rain rain gear, warm weather, warm weather, cold weather gear. And then I carry like an ultralight backpacker stove and just a can of fuel. And basically I make coffee in the morning and I carry a couple dehydrated meals. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's very similar, a lot of parallels with ultralight backpacking. Okay. Just because you don't want, you know, you don't want to have to carry a, a heck of a lot of weight on the bike. Yeah, so the mistake I made was I loaded up my bike with all this stuff and rode to New York. And by the time I got to New York, I sent home two big boxes of stuff i had way too much crap because i realized i'm not going to camp as much i like showers i like <laughs> so there were back to that whole planning thing i yeah. overplanned. planned <laughs> oh, i, I right, mean i brought right. more stuff than i wanted <laughs> what <laughs> over planning by taking everything and then just parsing it out along the road just leaving a little bit behind every so at that so point often. i didn't like really no i was over prepared because i i knew it was gonna be gone from home for six months i didn't know what I was going to be comfortable with. I didn't, but, you know what I mean? Like, but hold on. Like I, everyone I know that's done a large solo trip on a big bike, like everyone says that I took way too much stuff that I wasn't going to use. Yeah. yeah. I mean, gosh, the camera gear alone I had, I, I sent half of it back anyway. So, so you were, you were a little more prepared because you've done something like this before too, right, which you did on yeah. your Suzuki, your DRZ. Yeah, a couple summers ago, I did the Continental Divide ride on my Suzuki. So I've, I've been through it, and I, I did. This was a very similar trip, so I knew what gear I wanted to pack. Um, this time, you mentioned camera equipment. This year, I packed a lot more camera equipment. So I had. Are we gonna get to see that stuff? Uh, yeah, if Corona gets to editing some of it. Oh, you gave <laughs> it all the Corona. Yeah, I mean, I've got gigs and gigs of data. By but, the way, Laser's the editor now. Oh, so. I know. <laughs> get on it. Laser. Should force him to do it. Editing is giving Corona like. Uh, carpal tunnel right now so anyway um it's so okay so you you leave day one and and then i saw on instagram your girlfriend was there yeah in a car in your truck or something i just forgot to mention that part didn't i (laughs) yeah yeah so part of the trip was uh i mean that was your girlfriend right (laughs) which photo (laughs) this isn't being broadcast live so it's okay we could edit that out all right uh yeah she also wanted to go to the grand canyon she rides but she's just not um She's not good enough on the bike just yet, doesn't have the confidence. So she uh, got in the car and basically came up with her own trip to uh, meet me at the Grand Canyon. So okay. they, they camped at a, her and a friend camped at some other spots, and I rode solo for a few days, met up with her. We did some hiking, uh, camped together, and then I'd ride solo for a while. 
Okay. So when when are y'all buying the RV? Oh man. <laughs> she, she already wants to upgrade her Subarus so she can. We've got a really nice action. Sprinter bus that would look good on you. Yeah, yeah. The bus, I would go for the bus. We'll do some payments if you want. <laughs> Figure it out. Okay, so, 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 tell, so, all right. Now, now's the stories. When did the first problem happen? Yeah. Uh, 10 minutes into the ride, I had the first problem. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where the preparation sort of ended, right? I spent yeah. all this time building the bike, getting my gear, coming up with the tracks, and I just ran out of time to do any sort of test ride. So by the time I got to the start of the trail, get on the trail, it's uh, basically the test of, is my gear strapped down? And so I, I start, I get on the trail out of Cloudcroft, New Mexico, start riding and kind of you know there's some trepidation and i start to get into the swing of it and feel good and then i feel something on the bike a little weird so i pull over and i look and my tent is gone (laughs) absolutely gone i've been riding for um i've been riding for about an hour and a half two hours when i notice the tent so then i uh backtrack about 100 yards find the tent think everything's great repack it on the bike find a new way hopefully it doesn't fall off and while doing this i see that my spot tracker is missing so if you don't know what a spot tracker is it is the gps satellite tracking device that also allows you to basically sos call the cavalry so this is like kind of your one like get out of jail like this thing's sort of your lifeline how big is it how big is this thing uh it looks like an old blackberry shit Okay. Should Wait, it be uh, what's on- a BlackBerry? <laughs> Is that like a beta? Or- yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think it's, I think it's like a laser disc. Actually, <laughs> if it's the size of a BlackBerry, why don't you have this on you? Because if you get thrown from the bike, you can't crawl. I mean, over a cliff, you can't crawl back to the bike that, to that, get it. It's a very good point. Uh, oh, I wasn't trying to be corrective. No, the, I, if you read forums, people talk about whether you should have it on yourself. Yeah, I would want it on me. Um, because the way I ride, I'm not going to be near the motorcycle when I crash. <laughs> yeah, I'm ejected. I'm going to be way true. Off. Yeah, Completely yeah. true. Uh, you know, I've just always either clipped it on the on one of the bags, or sometimes I've had a mount that goes on the bars. But this time, I had put it in a pocket on the uh, on my tank bag or my tail bag, and I Oof. think I just forget to forgot to clip the carabiner. So the pocket, uh, the Velcro gave way and it got a the spot tractor was spot tracker was just ejected now we should clarify that in retrospect we realized that the tank or the tail bag was of relatively low quality it was it was procured from a yard sale for one dollar one dollar story i heard yeah it was a loner bag that that guy bought for a dollar from a swap meet because I was on a budget, you know, I bought my BMW wait, and just spent wait. all my money. Did you did you <laughs> borrow that from Jeff Barry? Is that? Oh uh, no, uh, this was from <laughs> huge. Like yeah. Okay, all right, I'm staying with you. I'm not saying shit. Go ahead, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> Again, a 10 mile test ride before I, you know, drove all the way there to New Mexico would have been nice. So or or sorry, keep going. <laughs> yes, buying proper stuff. I no, did. no. What I was gonna say or a discussion. With your boys. True. Yeah, True. yeah. Yeah, keep going. Anyway, I, uh, it's a spot tracker, right? You should be able to... The whole spot point it. is to find it. It should be hard to find. So I ride off the trail to get to cell service, look up the website for my tracker, and I look, and it's literally 10 minutes into the ride, and it's sending out a beacon. 
And so I back. I don't want to backtrack on the trail, so I kind of find a better way around. Take the coordinates, find the spot, or find where it's it's sending its last signal, and can't find it anywhere. It stopped sending the signal, but it was still there. It actually they cut off by uh, default about an hour after no movement. Oh, to right. save battery. To save battery it yeah. makes sense. So I look for it for about an hour, walking around up and down the trail kind of off the side can't find it anywhere and then i hit that that point like this is as stefan was saying this is my only connection to the outside world if i'm solo and in the back country and i break my leg and i can't move and i can't get out no cell service i push a button and they cavalry comes yeah they send whoever the nearest rescuer is okay so it's it's peace of mind and while i'm sitting there trying to decide should i should i continue without it or what i do yeah so i end up finding one in el paso about an hour and a half south and this was part of having to ride way more pavement than i expected so i bailed off rode all the way to el paso in 100 degree weather to buy a new spot tracker that that ride from uh Cloudcroft to El Paso is not a very exciting ride either. I've done that one once or twice. I'm, you, I'm looking yeah. at your face as you're shielding your. <laughs> I don't think it's embarrassment. I think it's more like you're remembering the frustration of the hour and a half ride, going, "Motherfucking, fucking huge." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Find anyone to blame but yeah, myself. Yeah, it's huge as fuck for selling me this fucking tank bag. All right, so tailbag. So keep going. Yeah. So the great thing is, I get down to El Paso, buy the spot tracker trying to call spot um to get it activated because i want to transfer my activation can't get through whatever do it online get everything working now in a better mood i can get to the point i wanted to stop for the night which is true consequences where did the thing go now the spot tracker spot tracker so as soon as i bought that one got it activated i had a call from spot that said hey someone in cloudcroft called us found your spot tracker and wants to return it to you. <laughs> so you get a spare. I still haven't gotten it back. Okay. All right. But yeah, it's out there somewhere. <laughs> so I don't know if I this, bet I could look it up. <laughs> if this fine young gentleman found it and turned it off and then took it home and called, or if it when it fell off the bike if it broke. Oh. I want to know how many times you threw the bike on the ground because that's that's really you know that's where really the fun stuff starts happening. Wait, isn't that a measure of your success? If you're with well, Stefan, depends on how you define success. Yeah. Well, if you if you know throw the bike on the ground, you haven't gone fast enough. Mm, you you just could go faster. <laughs> to be more precise. Well, I think like if Stefan hasn't thrown the bike on the ground, we're probably not laughing hard enough either. That's true. I would thought you were gonna say he's about to. <laughs> if he hasn't, he's about to. So yeah. So so you get the wait. You get the recorder. I'm sorry. What's it called? Spot tracker. Spot tracker. Yep. Secured Excuse in your underwear. Now you know where it is at all times. Right. And you can motor on happily without worry. Right. And then? So I, I get to the camp for the night, kind of reset, uh, get my map for the next day where I want to go, get back on the dirt in the morning, and get to ride, like, really nice trails, something called Chloride Canyon. Um, just <laughs> Sounds peaceful. <laughs> Chloride's uh, not good. Sorry. No. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's this little narrow canyon in, in New Mexico, and trail just runs right down into the river, riverbed and, and dry riverbed, and it's a, it's a good trail, not too difficult, not too um, 
it's not just like a fire road so that ride was really good uh, to answer the question about dropping the bike I'll use the diplomatic answer that when I'm solo I only go about 60% right because I don't want to risk hurting myself or something like that but really it's uh it is a matter of survival I guess so I never dropped the bike but in true adventure <laughs> fashion uh I was pushing the bike in a parking lot Oh, <laughs> at a target <laughs> now it was a deep loose gravel parking lot and I was backing the bike up and got my feet all tangled and it just started to go over I have a, I have a similar story yeah, uh, the last adventure ride I did there was a group of us and low water crossings uh, if you don't know what low water crossing is we have a lot of them here in Texas it's basically Which I've always thought it was weird because you should call it high water crossing yeah, but whatever right. yeah. so it's basically a lot of times it's a, a poured cement it's sort a, of trough hang on it's a low point in the road yes at certain points the water will overflow over it and there will be running water across the surface of what would otherwise be a highway it should yeah. be called a low wet crossing they get sure they get really slippery very uh, but several people on the ride had thrown their bikes down. Hang and, on, hang on. We haven't really qualified accurately how slippery they are. Like, when I studied physics, they talked about this thing called <laughs> frictionless bearings. And frictionless bearings don't actually exist, but if they did, they would be made out of whatever the fuck is in a low I'm water sorry, crossing. I'm sorry, I just remembered I witnessed <laughs> That's pretty Stephen, good, that's pretty good. I like that. I just witnessed Stefan dump my Moto Guzzi in his first low water crossing. That's not true. That I wasn't you? That was not me. I did not drop your Guzzi. You were remembering Chris Davis dropping his bike while I was riding your Moto Guzzi. That's what actually happened. But God, I've that's slept cool. since then. Sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Close enough. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I believe you. I believe mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, anyway, so pretty proud of myself at the end of the day. We'd, we'd ridden quite a bit of dirt, quite a bit of tarmac, lots of low water crossings. Hadn't dropped my bike at all. Pull into the gas station at the end of the day, dab a front brake, and from about 20 feet away from the gas pump drop the bike on the ground and it's still moving fast enough that it slams into the pump <laughs> where did you do this uh that was out in uh that was out in in lakey recently uh a couple months ago <laughs> nice. all right God, my, where are the gopros when you need them now my lower water crossing crash story goes a little bit like this i'm out cruising to a secret swimming hole here in texas on my klr amazing bike um, with uh, some super knobby tires, some super off-roady stuff. Bike ever. Obviously, it's yeah. a KLR. So, <clears throat> nothing to it. And I see this water crossing, and I just go into it at probably 45, maybe 50 miles an hour. I've, this is, I've never done this before. I don't realize what I'm doing. That's so fast. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, Wait. I slowed down to 45 miles an hour. Like, most most of the time, you'd want to go through these in first gear, basically at five. Clutching, clutching yeah. first gear at walking pace. So I hit this thing. I don't hit the throttle. I don't hit the brakes. I don't do anything. The front end and the back end change position, and I fall down. And I fall down, and I end up sliding at least 300 feet. This was like this long, like football field length, low water crossing that must have been perpetually wet because it was just algae. Where and was this? I don't know. It's out towards some secret oh, swimming hole Texas, um, okay. near where we went to the uh, the destruction derby. Yeah. Anyway, and I slid so far, just on my ass, just like just sitting like in a chair on my butt, <laughs> watching my bike pirouette on its pegs, sparking and doing it's all what the things. They do. Yeah. And I could not believe how far I slid. I I grew up in the north. I know what ice is like. I know what winter is like. I know what an ice rink is like. 
Low water crossings are slipperier than that by far. Slip inside. I just call them snot. You know, oh, they're terrible. Snot. Anyway, but I but you watched Chris Davis crash then with me. I think a, that was actually after that. No, because no, you didn't live here. Kale no. wasn't here. You were riding my Gucci. You would be riding my Gucci if you had your own motorcycle. I rode your Gucci because I was visiting before I moved here. But that was after I met you because when I did that, that was on the very first trip when I was coming down and I first met you. Oh my god, you guys are such an old married couple. <laughs> I know. And then, Seriously. And then, and then Andy, when we had Andy, remember when you when you bore Andy for nine months? That's a repressed memory. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, low water crossing. Uh, hmm. Not many of those on my route. But <laughs> I appreciate, I appreciate y'all's story because on one hand I feel like, uh, everyone, an idiot. Everyone's done it. Everyone drops everyone's a bike. No big it. deal. On the Not other me. hand, I'm like, man, I didn't do anything. You're, you're perfect. Cool. We know. I'm perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you crashed your bike in a parking lot at a Target. Uh, it was that 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 actually makes me really happy. <laughs> it was at a campground, and it was loose gravel. And then I dropped it. And I looked around. <laughs> no one saw. So it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Why are you telling uh, us? Eh. You could have let that one go. Yeah, I should have. I like to do those sorts of things as in front of as many people as possible. Oh God, he does. Yeah, he waits till there's a crowd. <laughs> Hold my beer. Watch this. Famous, famous last words. Yeah. So, so then what? Oh my God! It's like we're doing a podcast in a workshop. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Yeah, they probably can't even hear that. It's okay. Keep going. Andy's not downstairs, so who could be hammering so loudly? <laughs> it's not like it's his job. Anyway, so, what else went wrong? What else went wrong? Hang um, on, things are off to a little bit of a rocky start, but now you've got a new spot, you've repacked your tent, you've got things back on yeah, the bag, it's sort of coming I, together nicely. I kind of also want to hear about the bliss, because the bliss happens, you know. You get on that ride, and you're on a single track, and you're by yourself, and you realize all this months of planning, and this new amazing motorcycle you've just purchased we didn't even talk about the preparations of this motorcycle i forgot about that but you had a moment when was your first moment uh the first moment was a spot called tarahatso point which is on the grand Canyon. excellent enunciation yeah thank you i practiced yeah, that you did Tarahatso <laughs> point but uh i'm are you familiar with horseshoe bend yeah um it's insta famous everyone's been there it's true that place is you do know, you have a selfie yeah, absolutely. Okay, oh, let's God. put that in the video. Yeah, sure we thing. need to see this selfie of you. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully there's like a four million people behind you because it's so popular now. No, see, that's the thing. So I didn't go to Horseshoe Bend because that's oh. what all the tourists do. So I found this spot that is on Navajo land. You have to have a permit and you have to ride about 20 miles off-road. Um, pretty barren. It's 95 degrees. It wasn't the most enjoyable ride, but <laughs> after you ride that far... The trail literally ends at the rim of the Grand Canyon. Awesome. So if you weren't paying attention, you would just launch off for thousands of feet or whatever it is. You and made it because you're here. I can. I made yeah, it. Yeah. I made it all the way across. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. Did yeah. not go off. Evil okay. Knievel couldn't quite get there, but you managed on the uh, on the BMW. So. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's a revival bike. What are you going to do? <laughs> That the, uh, click click here to buy now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now that was the the bliss moment. I think um, was yeah all the planning and and looking at photos at this point. Uh, the, and the, getting there. Yeah, and then actually getting there and being able to park the bike, you know, feet from the edge, which my knees were shaking the whole time trying to get the bike close. Because again, if I just stumble and drop it, and it falls over the edge, it's game over. 
So, yeah, I get to park the bike, and I do lots of photos and selfies, of course, because I'm, I'm not too proud to do that. Nor should you be. Yeah, so... W- fully clothed, I assume. Fully clothed, yeah. although I was riding in gear, and as soon as I stopped and parked the bike, it was clothes off. So it was basically shorts and no shirt, because it was so hot. Yeah, no, I don't... See, that's the other thing. When you told me you were going for a ride in June, I was like, oh. I mean, I know you want sunny weather, that's part of it, but... You're going to the desert. It's always sunny out there. True. Now, that's one of the mistakes I made was that two summers ago when I did the Continental Divide ride, I did it in July, and I went through New Mexico. But by definition, the Continental Divide is high. It is the the highest, the peak or whatever. Yeah. You know. and so, so it's the, cool. It was cool. The ride was beautiful. And so this time I was like, oh, June, this will be better, right? But no. No. Yeah, no. Like you said, riding to the... The deserts and the lower elevations, it was pretty brutal. I once rode Death Valley on the that Kawasaki. I rode from the... Ka- I rode Ka- from Kawasaki what? Cop bike. I couldn't Ka- remember the name of it. It was a cop bike. KZ. Cop bike. KZ-1000 Police Interceptor. So a friend of Stefan's, a long-time friend of, family friend of Stefan's, gave him a KZ-1000. And I don't remember how it came about. You couldn't go or... I could go. It was or... after Bonneville. You headed out to Seattle for something, and because you were in Seattle, it was a great excuse to pick up that bike and bring it back this way. So I got on this bike in Seattle, that cop bike with cop tires and cop exhaust and cop gearbox, whatever, and rode from his ma's place in Seattle to Austin. And I went through San Francisco. Oh, I got this tattoo. I did all this fun stuff. It took like two weeks to get home. And uh, I rode Death Valley one day and shit I don't remember where I was just say that I went on a road headed through Death Valley and I'm like ah, what's the big damn deal I'm on a motorcycle it's been I've already, already ridden a thousand miles this thing's reliable I'm all good and I get on a road that's twist that's twisty going back and forth back and forth and I'm throwing that cop bike around like I'm on chips I'm on the show man I am just and I'm hanging off of it like like you've ridden with Chris Davis on twisty so, roads hang on were you Eric Estrada or the other guy <laughs> Eric Estrada. I was going to say, I don't think I'm as good as either one of those dudes, but I'm not even gonna, how could I compare myself to Chips? And it is sad that bam, it's bam, just, bam, bam, bam. it's Eric Estrada and the other guy. And the other guy. Sorry. It's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I'm, I'm literally hanging off. Have you ridden with Chris Davis before? Oh, yeah. And you know how you like, he's Rossi on every corner, right? He's Marquez. <laughs> So, so I'm riding like that because that's what it takes to get this bike to go around corners. But I'm having a damn good time through this this mountain pass. And then I realize I'm in Death Valley. I realize where I am. And that thing only held, I want to say, two gallons or two and a half gallons. It didn't hold a lot of fuel. I just know that 100 miles was about right. 100 miles is where you need to get some fuel. And, and you need to be careful out there, too, because there's a lot of places where you can, you know, 50 miles between gas stations. But I'll tell you, I wasn't thinking at all. I'm using GPS. I'm headed the right way. I know where I'm going. Surely, surely there's going to be a lot of gas stations. And I get through that. I go straight for 10 miles, and then I turn right and start to ride. And I'm at 100 miles, right? And I know it's time to get gas. I'm at 110 miles. It's time to get gas. I'm at 120 miles. It's time to get gas. And I realize, oh, oh you're shit. looking. You're looking, and all you see is straight road and horizon. Straight. And I'm thinking... I'm such a dumbass. I'm such a dumbass. You don't see I a light so pole. Stupid. You don't see a, a electrical pole. You, you pull just out your phone. See... No reception. 
you don't really know where you're going. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, I'm just, I know I'm going the right, right, right way, but I don't know where the next gas station is. So I slow down to 30 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour, thinking this is how I'm going to be the most efficient to get through this. There's, <laughs> I'm way past reserve, right? I've hit reserve a long time ago. And I remember there was a turnout and there was a cop sitting at a turnout. And I pulled in that turnout and I walk up and I ride up and I knock on his door, on his window. Wake him up. And he, yeah, and he looks at, at me and I'm like, hey man, I don't, I don't want to, I'm just, I'm going this way and I'm about out of gas. How far is the gas station? And I think he said, I don't know. And he knew exactly where, how far it was. And he was just annoyed. I was like, are you heading back that way or this way? And he said that way. I was like, okay, I'm going that way. If you see me on the side of the road, would you please stop? I'm almost out of fuel, but I'm still, he's like, sure. You know, whatever. I, I leave. There's no cars. But no, no respect. I mean, you're on a cop bike. You might I'm not be a, a cop, but you're and, halfway and there. Remember, I was wearing my Vanson with the yellow, with the yellow things here, and I'm wearing an open face ruby helmet. I look like a cop too, right? And he has no interest in my cop bike. And I even put the you must revival. Have been, you were missing the shades and the mustache. Yeah, I, I was going to say, so it, I had the shades hmm. and I had a beard. You needed a mustache. Yeah. There was the mustache. Well, and and I had the revival diamonds over where the cop bike, the cop logo badge was on the tank. Like it was it was well set up anyway, and I keep riding at about thirty miles an hour. Scared, scared, scared. It's at least one hundred and twenty degrees. I am sweating my ass off, and I pull into the town, and the bike stalls, and I roll into the gas station, and literally, and I mean roll so slowly that it stops in front of the gas pump. Even when I tell the story, I feel like I'm it's bullshit. <laughs> it completely happened. I get off the bike, and there's people at the gas station, and I start screaming and hollering. Wow! Like, I'm so stoked that I've made it this far. And I did what I'm supposed to have done all along. I went in and bought a spare one-gallon can of gas, strapped it to the back pannier with a bungee cord, and carried it full the entire way home to Austin. But anyway, yeah, yeah anyway, that moment of having made it through... I don't know. What was the worst that was going to happen? It was 120 degrees. I was going to roast my ass in the middle of the desert. Yeah, it was going to be very uncomfortable. and For sure. Just ruin your trip. I had no food. You wouldn't be able to tell that story. You would be talking about a much more miserable time. Or death. Or death. It's called Death Valley. That's what I hear. So so then, okay. So you have that moment. I have that moment. And I then, do have a uh, out-of-gas story, if you would like to hear that one. You, wait, you had gas. You ran out of gas? <laughs> Uh, yeah, this that's why it's a story because it's this one's another one a bit embarrassing, but I did bring a two gallon Rotopax because the bike has about a hundred and thirty hundred and forty mile range, so I packed that's this fuel good. from Austin all the way to the Grand Canyon. Never have to use the extra yeah. fuel. Get to the Grand Canyon and meet up with Carrie, my girlfriend. And we decide to go into the park and, you know, go to some viewpoints and do a lot of hiking. But I still want to take the bike so I can ride some of the twisty roads. She's in the car, and I want to unpack the bike. So I pull the fuel can, pull my saddlebags and everything, bring nothing but the camera equipment. We start going into the park, and I was, I was thinking, man, this, this is a lot farther than I expected. But there is a gas station in the park. And so we're riding, and it's beautiful the sun's going down we do our hike and start coming back and now i I mean i'm on my sixth day riding so i know the range right i know how far it's gonna run out yeah Yeah. and i'm looking at it and i'm at 112 miles and i I know how far the gas station is i'm like yeah i got this no problem there's that bliss feeling just loving it and then 
edge. Just <laughs> just dies. Because it's all in two people, too. No, well, Carrie was in the car. Oh, I'm so, sorry. So I was I following yeah. her. What happened was, I'll explain it. The previous gas station was the old style one where you can't run a credit card. You have to go in and yeah, pay. Yeah. And so I gave him $8 cash, went out, filled the bike. But I didn't quite, it didn't quite fill it up. And I was like, yeah, no big deal. What's a half gallon? Well, that's 30 miles. I was going to say, yeah, that's 30 miles. That's <laughs> yeah. what that is. Yeah. So uh, bike dies about 12 miles from the gas station. Carrie comes back in the car, picks me up, go to the gas station, um, find as many Gatorade and water bottles as we can find. <laughs> Approved containers, if you will. Yeah. Certainly fill, legal. Yeah. Fill them up with gas. And I, I have some video of that because it was pretty hilarious. But went back, filled it up. Um, little knock on the pride, but was able to get back. No big deal. And then the rest of the Not trip. so bad. Hauled the whole two gallons extra fuel the whole trip. Just hauled it around. Never yeah. used it. Yeah, all I remembered was that I scratched the top of the painted pannier on the uh, on the KZ1000 with that stupid plastic can the rest of the way home that I didn't need. I only needed it that once. Anyway. All right, but here, we've got a very useful and important tech tip here, and that is, fortunately, Gatorade bottles are compatible with gasoline. So when you're caught in the middle of nowhere, just go find a Gatorade bottle or other sports drink bottle, and that'll <laughs> be your jerry can times. to get yeah. you back on the road. We've yeah. done that even just heading out to Lukenbach, I remember. Uh, draining gas out of another bike into a Harley or something. Yeah, yeah. We I had a Sportster. Remember, for a very short time, I bought a Sportster. Oh, this must be before the uh, infamous small Italian Moto Giro out to the Harvest oh, Classic. God, here it comes. <laughs> but that's a whole different thing. I think we've no. told that story a few times on, on podcast. On podcast? Yeah. Did. Yeah, Pretty that sure. sounds yeah. familiar. Yeah. Anyway. Seems like I was there. It was my fault. This time we're out in the in the Grand Canyon. Well, hold on, hold on. I want to know, at what point did you get in that zone where you're like, all I want to do is ride a motorcycle? Like, I don't want to go back to work. I just want to get up every day and ride a motorcycle. Uh, yeah, so after the Grand Canyon, we went to Zion and Bryce and did hiking. So I kind of took two days off from the bike, but I was also off from work. We did some hiking. It was great. It's beautiful. But then I was tired of the crowds, and that was a point where I was like, I know I have four or five more days. I just want to get on the bike, uh, just ride, not have to worry about people and crowds and agendas and other than my own right that's why i love riding solos i don't have to worry about well you know if i ride with alan well does he want to stop for gas does he need to stop to pee does he want to get up at five in the morning and you know no he doesn't no he doesn't but no that's yeah. the i think that's the best part about riding solo though is is being able to go as long as you want or you know get up whenever you want and yeah. just go yeah yeah, I think I'm going to be taking a week off next week. <laughs> Sorry, I was going back into the Andy telling us why it's so great to ride solo, get up whenever he feels like it. Yeah. Boom. Anyway, so, so, um, children, children. But but I'm I'm curious to know. Like, I want to hear more about the bike. I want to hear that what was good or what didn't work or. Like, what didn't go to plan? Because, I mean, unlike me, you like to plan. So what didn't go to plan? And did it, make it, did it make it better or did it make it worse? Or did it... Yeah, as far as the bike goes, it had, as you know, it had some idling troubles and wasn't running perfect. Um, I made a few small changes before I left. And then I think the elevation actually helped quite a bit. It ran much better. So the bike was great, especially compared to... So the... what does that tell us? 
about about what its fuel system was doing at 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 this at this level. Yeah, essentially the the fuel injection didn't know what to do. Had, I don't know if it had a hole <laughs> until in, it got to ten thousand feet. Well, yeah. all right. Yeah. So here's what here's really the science. Here's the science behind what's going on there. My best guess, with limited information, is that as you go up in altitude, al- uh, the air density is reduced. Therefore, you're getting fewer oxygen molecules and therefore your mixture is richening and that's just showing us that most factory bikes are tuned too lean because they have to pass epa requirements as you go up in altitude they actually run better and that means if you don't live at altitude you probably should richen your mixture a little bit i mean yeah they say putting just a a regular just computer on the ktm of my bike adds like 20 percent power just because it gives it fuel that it wants otherwise it gets really good mileage (laughs) and just running too lean and hot and whatever yeah yeah riding at elevation i was able to have it run better and feel like i had more power and so it was really good and uh, i was going to say compared to the drz 400 which is still a good bike but the 650 i mean you can just lug it you just leave it in one gear and climb a mountain torque yeah just tons torque. of torque low end um not having to worry about downshifting and slipping a clutch or anything like that so knowing what you know now and having done that trip and having dealt with that that particular bike would you do that again uh, no. Short answer, no. Yeah. Um, I, I like the lighter on, what, bike. What, is, what does that mean? Does that mean that trip or that yeah, bike? That's what that I mean. would, you, would you take this that. bike on another solo adventure? Uh, this bike, I, actually, I, th- I think I would do more of a touring ride. Uh, the pavement miles, especially getting up into Colorado and the Million Dollar Highway, where it's pavement, but it's really nice and twisty. Uh, the bike was perfect. I mean, it is a smaller bike, but for me, it, it was really comfortable um, fun to ride, but as far as doing this trip with the amount, even with the amount of off-road I did, it was too heavy for me. Are I you couldn't. Gonna, are you, are you going to keep it? Yeah, I'll keep it this time. Yeah, last time I uh, rode to Seattle and sold my bike and flew home. What was that? The DRZ? Yeah, that was you the sold DRZ. sold in Seattle. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I remember that bike. It was a 400. It was a 400, yeah. How fast are you on the highway on a 400? I, I mean, it would do 65. I'm sure it didn't love it, but... Right, and you can wrap it out to 70, and then you it really lets you know, like, hey, I don't appreciate this. Yeah. Like a KLR. Yeah, it's about the same. The KLR yeah. might, might just eke to 75, but that's about it. They're much happier at 55. So I re-geared my 640 KTM when I went to Europe. And I'll never forget the first day I ended up on one of the Autobahns in Germany. It was like, yeah, I can float along at 90, and it would float along at 90. It just wasn't comfortable. 90 miles an hour on a dirt bike on a highway is just too much but enter 75 enter the ktm 990 oh god yeah (laughs) actually i had lunch with jeff davis today and he's talking about riding he's stefan's fucking bike got two got me two tickets because i just could not ride it at less than 95 miles an hour that's i think that's the problem with all those big adventure bikes my tiger 1050 is the same way like you're doing 120 miles an hour before you realize it i don't i don't call that a problem especially with the 990 because that thing will do that 100 plus cruise as long as you want and then when you get where you're going it will still crush it on single track like i've had it on proper off-road single track and (laughs) As a big fat pig, it is amazing. I rode that brand new GS BMW that I said a 1200, the the water boxer, and I put 200 miles on it a few weeks ago with Jenna on it, right? The two of us, and still I was floating along at 90, 95, and I was like, this is not something I should be riding 
this is a big tour it's not an adventure bike this is a touring bike and okay we're cool you're still on the highway take that thing into single track and, and uh, then let i me think know. they weigh like 550 600 pounds mm-hmm. way too much although i will say the lcd screen which seemed like high definition dolby surround sound <laughs> you guys are getting caught up 4K. on uh, yeah, you're getting caught we're up on house of netflix cards. while we were cruising on the road yeah it was huge impressive display but i was thinking i don't this is not necessary anyway so you're being told you didn't have a 4k display right it did not no, no. it's pretty basic uh you did remind me of one thing that uh on the trip my phone which i was using as my gps decided to stop keeping a charge stop recognizing the sim card and then just overheat and again not planning or not testing all this stuff out i, I could have figured this out sooner but I had to stop in Flagstaff, go to a Best Buy, and full motorcycle gear, walk in and say, hey, I need a phone as soon as possible. And, you know, they're trying to upsell me and everything. But I get, I get the new phone, get it on the bars, all excited, and I go to, uh, you know, do something with the map, and this phone doesn't work with my glove. <laughs> so the old phone does, and it works great through the glove. And what I find is if I spit on my finger, it works. Oh, there's so How's many that? jokes in there. Come on, I so many it. jokes. Oh, lots of things work if you spit on your finger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Stefan, Andy, not gonna um, touch that one. I'm oh, gonna let smell the glove. I'm gonna let all the 14 year olds that are listening to this fill in the gaps. Yeah. I, think, I think they can do just as well as we can. <laughs> I, I figured you'd jump in and talk about capacitance and organic material. And <laughs> if we want to get into how capacitive touchscreens work, we can do that. But I figure that's covered in a different podcast. You should have gotten a better phone. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> I should have. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been teasing you for like two years about that phone crapping out. Yeah. Get a new phone. It's time for a new phone. What'd you get? Some some kick ass Android phone. Yeah, of course the Galaxy S nine. Are those the ones that light on fire? No, is it those I, seven? I think that was Wait. the seven. Huh. They're the ones that plug into like universal jacks and have a headphone jack and do things like that. Because <laughs> they're so superior. Yeah. Well, no, they just think about what you actually need to be able to use the phone. Says and... the guy who's carrying an iPhone. <laughs> oh no, my <laughs> iPhone still has a headphone jack, which I use on a very regular basis. It's gonna suck having to use dongles and everything. It is. It's kind of why I don't want the new one. Yeah. Anyway, so we can talk about iPhones in your 2006 motorcycle, 2007, 2007, 2007 motorcycle. All right. So now I know that you had a whole lot more adventure. And, and some of them are the very classic moves of adventure riding, which is no matter where you go on an adventure ride, you are going to have a flat. So what happened? Yeah, uh, I did have a flat and it really was a result of riding in anger and it kind of taught me a lesson and what had happened. Wait, when do you not ride in anger? Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up. What was it that caused you to be angry? So it... The reroutes, the forest, there was a forest fire, I had a reroute, I, I was on pavement for hundreds of miles, and I finally get to a point where I'm supposed to jump on the trail, right? Get back into the zone. And this is the same day or slightly after, the next day after you've had to go back off to find a new phone, and this is a few days after you've had to go back off to find a spot tracker, and like you've just kind of had to keep going off to civilization to reprovision this electronic crap that is failed for various reasons. So you're riding with a hate rash. Yeah, I have full hate rash at this point. Really? (laughs) Your vacation has turned into a a job. Right. Uh, I mean, it's still, you know, better than showing up here every day. (laughs) But 
A joke. It was you, a joke. You could have made it more personal. It's still better than seeing your ass every day. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, I mean, it was, yeah, frustration from not being able to be off-road as much as I wanted or follow my, my intended path. And so I, I finally got to the spot where I was going to jump back on the trail. And a local rider, I stopped to talk to him, and he says, you don't want to jump on here. This is it's mountainous and it's rocky and you can't do that on that bike oh great thanks yeah, yeah and i it gets in my head and i'm like you know what maybe i should go around and so i go on the pavement a few a few more i don't know probably 10 15 miles um and find I, the I'm, next spot i'm really surprised at your restraint because if that was me i would have been like you said i can't do it i'm gonna do it anyway just to prove you wrong that doesn't surprise me at all (laughs) you know i had people that that warned me about it like they'd see me going down a road and they'd be like that's gonna take you all day i'm like that is i'm on vacation that's exactly what i'm hoping (laughs) right right they're like we can't get through on our in our truck how are you gonna do it on a bike i'm like that's why i'm here do it on the freeway if i was just trying to get somewhere right Yeah. yeah and so uh at this point, I, I finally get to the, the trail where I'm going to jump back on, and I realize I am basically through the mountains, uh, past the mountains, and I jump on the trail, and it's like this lunar landscape, right? There's yeah. no trees, it's flat, and it's packed red dirt with these weird, like, volcanic rocks. And so it's just straight, boring, and I kind of I, I pin it at this point, and I'm doing probably 50 or 60 and trying to dodge all the rocks and there's one i just can't avoid and i hit it straight on and it jars me and basically gives me a pinch flat right it bottoms out front so yeah there is a very distinct feeling and i know this feeling because i've done exactly what you're talking about and it's this like resonance that comes through the bars and you feel it in your fingers and it's like it's almost like you feel the pain that your rim just felt. I thought you were yeah. you saying you feel the feeling. pain of the tube piercing. Yeah, yeah, and you you just know it just it hits wrong, and you're just like, ah, that was it. Yeah. That was totally a flat. So, yeah. as someone who rides seventeens, cast seventeens off road occasionally, uh, I I know that exact feeling, and it's always like, oh, there's a new rim dent. Hey, uh, mental note: let's get him a tracker. Keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I felt that exact feeling you were describing, Stefan, where the uh, it, it rings through your body, and I slow down, and I'm you know kind of shook up, and then I realize the front end starting to get loose, and yeah, flat tire, and that was the point where I pull over, try to get onto my GPS on the phone, and that's the first time it tells me no SIM card, so now my phone won't do anything. I don't know where to go, which way is the best, you know, the shortest route. I don't want to stop right there because uh, there's no shade um, and there's not a lot of traffic like I'm beyond the trailhead and so I decide to, to turn around just limp it back on the you know the whole time thing I'm destroying the wheel or destroying the tire uh, and I limp it back about 10 miles to the trailhead and I'm like alright made it I have all the tools I carry all the tools spare tube everything I need right to be able to do this trail side and I, uh, again, strip down because it's 95 degrees and I'm sweating. So I take Sounds my gear off. Awful. <laughs> I uh, unload the bike, get it propped up on a rock, get my tools out, and I go to loosen one of the pinch bolts and the little cheap wrench that comes with the bike just flexes. Doesn't even try to turn the pinch bolt. Starts to round it off. I'm like, all right. Uh, Put pliers. that on too tight. <laughs> yeah, it was Loctite. You know, I was... It, preparation didn't yeah, want it yeah. to come loose so yeah i definitely uh didn't think that one all the way through get the pliers out and i get the first one loose 
and the second one loose, and the third one loose, and then the fourth one I cannot get loose, and it just rounds off the bolt, basically strips it. So pack it all back up, ride another four or five miles on pavement to the nearest village. With a flat tire. With a flat tire. Hmm. And this whole time, yeah, going through my head, like, am I, am I destroying the tire? Am I causing more damage? But I really don't know what to do at this point. Just keep going, yeah. Just keep going. It's just part of it. Yeah, just... I, honestly, at that point, you don't have a lot of options. But as, you know, to jump ahead a little bit and just to offer a little bit of insight, you can drive a fair ways on completely flat motorcycle tires, even with tubes, as long as you do it slowly, like less than 10 miles an hour. And the whole thing there is the heat generation. If you can keep the heat generation under control, you're not going to roast your tire. You're not going to wreck the tube. Everything will kind of be okay at the end. Keep the horsepower down. Keep the braking forces down. And you can get away with a lot but in that moment when you're there and you haven't gone through it before you're just like oh shit am i am i going to ruin everything and i know that feeling too because well yeah <laughs> i've had that experience yeah. Yeah. It, it works better on the front than the rear too that's true because <laughs> the front doesn't have to do the braking the rear does have to do the driving and if you get too rowdy with the rear you definitely strip out the 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 stem of the tube and now your tube is toast yeah, you guys know I'm overly cautious. So I, I did about three miles an hour, get down to the village and uh, find a guy with the proper tool to be able to loosen this and go about my tire change. And I you know, pull the tire, pull the tube, find a little, little pinch in there, a little snake bite, get my new tube, put it in, seat the bead, or, or you know, reinstall the tire, go over to the air compressor at the little gas station and air it up sure hang enough on. yeah hang on at what point did you cross your fingers <laughs> you know i i thought i had it i thought as soon as i got that bead seated i was so careful with the spoons and and i thought it was there oh. yeah yeah you so, pierced it yep walked across the street air it up and it inflates and then you just hear it just I don't know what it is, but for me, every so every time I put a tube in a tire, it doesn't matter if I'm here in the shop on the tire machine or on the side of the road cursing and swearing profusely, it doesn't matter. When I go to the compressor with a tube tire, fingers are crossed yeah. every single time. I'm so bad at it, I try to get someone else to do it for me so they can take the risk. Because <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with the demoralization of it. <laughs> now, after I pinch flatted a, a tube repair like that about 15 times in one day, that was when I learned to cross the fingers. And since I've started crossing my fingers before I go to the compressor, I have not had a problem Says since. the engineer of all engineers. <laughs> the, most, the most logical person that's we a, know. That's data-driven. He's yeah, absolutely done it. Yeah, yeah, your, your, your sample size might be too small. <laughs> well, yeah, after post-finger post crossing, there are, there's a sample size of zero, so I can't really compare. Please, please explain to me the mechanical uh, consistency of why that works. Um... Well, rationally, it's that I got better at changing tires. Irrationally, I kind of I still like your... crossing my fingers. Yeah. Do okay, you really but... cross your fingers? You're yeah. dead fucking serious. Dead serious. Well, but the thing we're, oh, we're, if it's we're not talking about though is that dirt bike tires are a pain. Oh, I hate they're, it. They're they're the worst. I didn't even they're know the there worst. was such a thing as a tire machine until I was twenty something for motorcycles. I thought you had to do it with spoons because that's how I grew up doing it. So yeah, you, I knew that the machines existed. I just didn't think there was any hope of ever owning one until I was in my late thirties. <laughs> so, yeah, you've, it's, it's yeah, it's and I'm so angry and walk back over to the bike and I did pack a scab, a patch kit, right, right, 
And so in all my wisdom when packing it, I uh, pulled the packaging apart, you know, not to carry a bunch of waste because I don't, I'm so good at this packing. I pull the packaging apart. We've noticed with the, yeah. 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 <laughs> and so I, I get the tube out and uh, pull my patch kit out and get the patch, get the rubber cement, put both, you know, patch both of my now pinched tubes. And Might as well. They're both on the ground. Right. Yeah. 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 You got to, I need a backup still. So I put the patches on, the rubber cement, and then I think to myself, how long does it take to dry? I don't have the packaging. I don't have a cell phone to get, you know, like, to look this up. In the You've trashed the instructions. I've trashed the instructions. I've never actually used uh, patches like that before. With really? Rubber cement. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of at a loss. And I decided the exact time for rubber cement to dry is the same to drink two whiskeys in the bar across the street. Which it's is less. exactly what it says in the instructions if you had kept them. I think that's yeah. what it says. But, yeah, I just, you know, I reached that point where I... I didn't want to push it. I just walked across the street, had some food, had a drink. It's almost instantly that stuff. It's crazy how fast it can work. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I think that the whiskey and the food That's probably made the patch hold yeah. a lot better. It's, it, it it's probably like crossing my fingers, I think. Yeah, that, that, that kind of stuff has a way of uh, changing your perspective when you come back to it, too. So yeah. it's a good thing to do. So you got it back together. Got it back together. Uh, patches held. Crossed your fingers this time. Crossed my fingers. There was a slight bend in the wheel that resonated at about 30 or 35, but then went away above that. It's fun. Just don't go 30, 35. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. no problem. Yeah. And you made it. You kept I, going. I made it, With yeah. that same tube. With that same tube, right. Yeah. Um, Is it still in the bike? No. Uh, man. Now, Wait, you had to do it again? I realize how shitty my trip seems in retrospect now. <laughs> but, hold on. Adventure is is that like getting going through and it. experiencing something yeah. that you can't account for any everything. Yeah, like, talk ten minutes right. talk for ten minutes right now about how great the writing was. You're like well, well there was some hang on but good like, views. Some... Let's quali- quantify adventure a little bit. Adventure is not going on a carnival cruise. Adventure is not going to the movies. Adventure is not going to a football game. That is not adventurous in any way, because you know the outcome it's almost a near certainty when you go out into the middle of the backcountry with a motorcycle that you've really not tested and you know for a fact doesn't work correctly that's so, adventure so so if i interject may interject for a minute uh i took chris davis convinced him to go with me to costa rica we rented two ktm 690s this is 2009 or something 2010 and i'd done this before on my ktm and ridden a bunch and knew how to I have this duffel, this big, uh, you know, waterproof duffel. I know how to use ratchet straps to strap it to the back of a bike without a rack on it so that it's secure and doesn't move. And, you know, I've prepped him on, this is going to be fine. You have, you have a system. I have a system. I've shared my system with Chris Davis. We do the same thing. We get on the sim- same bikes with almost the same bags. We go down there. And I think we're 30, 40 miles into the first ride off-road. And he stops. I circle back. And I come back. And he's got his waterproof bag is smoking and i mean smoking badly he is taking all his shit out of his bag and it's like he's completely what is on fire what is on fire it was obviously rubbing the exhaust when it started to settle in right (laughs) and he pulls out his dop kit and it's his dop kit so he, he had like spare toilet paper he had deodorant and toothpaste all of it is completely burned and melt melted together and it's completely toast and he starts to have a meltdown right there and I mean, he's melting down just like the dop kit in the middle in the middle of this trail and and like 
way out in the middle of nowhere in Costa Rica. And I stopped him and said, look, dude, that's actually what this trip is about. This don't worry. We can buy you some more stuff later. You're going to be okay. And he readjusted and reclocked his parameters of what he was doing. He's like, everything's okay. Your bike's still going. We're going to be fine. But it was like a 30 minute meltdown. He'd never, I think he'd never actually done that. It was just what you said. It was like, this is the adventure part. This is, this will later be the only story of the whole trip. That and the other three times he crashed. (laughs) (laughs) This is the part you're going to remember because you, and you kept going, you got through it. But anyway. Yeah, no, you're right. The, one of the greatest things is perspective, being able to get out on the road and, and you think all the thing, these things are challenges or something like that, you know, it, it, it's a flat, it's not that big of a deal, but then you conquer it and you feel like you really did something and you just get different perspective. Maybe that says something about who we are to people. As people, we realize how easy things are compared to how hard it sometimes feels, mm-hmm. right? We need to go challenge ourselves and do something that's remotely uh, difficult compared to our day-to-day that seems difficult in the moment, but it isn't. Well, I, I was going to say, I think my my most memorable rides are ones where it doesn't go perfect because you don't remember the ones that like are absolutely flawless. Except, what I was going to say is, which ones went flawlessly? I, I never had one of those. I've never yeah. even ridden home. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons I <laughs> well, love riding vintage bikes because you never, you know, you can think that that bike is so well-sorted you can put tons of miles on it, and it can still break. It can still go wrong, and you can still be stuck out in the middle of nowhere. What happens after it breaks is where the the amazing stuff happens. That's when you can end up meeting some random person in some random part of some random country, and that's the experience that really sticks with you. And I can vouch for everything you guys are saying. All the greatest things I've ever done have been the result of terrible decisions in awkward situations that I should not have been in if I was using rational judgment, but using irrational judgment, you find this amazing stuff that ultimately is what you carry with you for the rest of your life. Well, I mean, let's let's face it too, like riding motorcycles is kind of an irrational uh, action act uh, thing to do as a pastime, right? I mean, no, it's completely rational. Sorry, I'm not going to I'm not no. going to support that statement. I'm going to stay with my head buried in the sand. Okay. Motorcycle right. is the best way to do everything. Statistically, riding a motorcycle is not the best idea. Yeah. Honda yeah. Civic, that's the best way to do it. Right. Uh, I I want to tell the story about my France uh, trip and my thousand dollar or thousand euro chain, but I'm not going to get into it. Remind me to tell you that story another time. But it's the mm-hmm. best part. It really is the stuff that really screwed you up and you thought you were going to die. Yep. Right. And so we were talking about flat tires, and Alan was asking you if you still had that tube in there, but you don't. And wait, yeah. So what happened? Right. So one of my decisions in my very personal bike decision is I like to run a full knobby on you know as far as tires go yeah so like a too. full because well, you're you're planning for 80 percent off-road right 80 like 20 means you're running a barely legal tire yeah absolutely and I'd much rather have the traction when I need it than you know be able to pull for it to wear an extra four thousand miles yeah. right right, yeah. right and uh this I've ridden this tire before I've ridden this many miles on it and I knew it would be able to last if I did that much off-road and since I had already put so many miles on the pavement it was wearing really fast and I ended up um, knowing where I would be going I went ahead and stopped and changed to a, a more dual sport tire so I found oh, I wondered about that I saw it on there yeah so I found a shop that uh, uh, they're really good guys they let me 
pull into the shaded area and back and pull my own you know tires and then they installed them but but all right that that shop that experience that's the part that i'm talking about like things didn't go right like you had this plan i'm going to do 80 80 dirt i'm going to use this tire i'm going to do this and then plans didn't go right you burn through that tire because you had to do a bunch of pavement to solve other problems but then at the end of the day you ended up finding a shop that could take care of what you needed. You found people that were there that were cool, that you enjoyed being with, that were there to support you. And there's no way to plan for that. And that part of the adventure ride is the part that I am always like, that's the part that I love at the end of the day. At the, when I get back from the ride, that's the part I think about. Yeah, absolutely. The, you mentioned the people earlier and in, in the shop, the guys there were great, but even just about everywhere I stopped when you're riding solo, you know, I stop somewhere to get gas or I'll step into a bar and sit next to someone and it just always sparks up a conversation, right? Especially like, you know, where are you coming from? You say Austin and they're like, what the hell? Did you ride that bike all the way here? Like, yeah, my ass is very sore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember being in France and I'd pull over at like a side thing on the freeway and people would walk up and they'd be like, in French, Texas, what? what (laughs) what are you doing here no way yeah i wrote it across the ocean yeah Yeah, it's the best you 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 could you were suddenly not that scary you could talk to everyone if you're if you're flying solo on a bike yeah and then go ahead or you find someone that has any background in motorcycles and it's just this camaraderie yeah Yeah. the conversation's great and you like i have a whole list of people i met their names and everything that i met on the way just to you know remember all the conversations i had Okay, hang on one second. Think about it. The last time you went on a road trip in a car, how many people did you meet that you actually got their name and contact information? That's a good point. None. Yeah. Absolutely none. You don't talk to anybody at the gas station when they're in their car. You don't talk to anybody at the airport. You don't talk to anybody when at the train the, station. When was the last time any one of you guys stayed in a hotel room with four random guys from New Hampshire on Harleys? Sure. That you'd never met before. Yeah, did that. <laughs> And, and this is how we come back to the motorcycle being a completely rational choice for transportation because of how it influences your social in- engagement. It's amazing. That's squealing? Is That's that my... your air conditioner. Yeah. yeah. Reach up there. And just kind of just pound right on the revival. Get your, get your Fonzie oh, it skills stopped. out. It stopped. All right. All right. So what I was hey. going to say. Yeah, so I had a, I had a, um, a moment. I was on the... Blue Ridge Parkway and I met these guys at a turnout and ended up staying in a hotel room with them. I'm really condensing this story. We we ended up going out to dinner and hanging out and riding. I'm on a KTM and they're all on their Harleys. They'd ridden all the way from New Hampshire all the way down and blah, blah, blah. And I remember the next day I talked to my mom or something, told her that I'd done this and she said, weren't you nervous they were going to rob you? And they told me the next morning that all of their wives had talked to them and they were all nervous that I was going to rob all four of them. (laughs) (laughs) Their wives are nervous that this one kid on a dirt bike was going to take all their money. Um, What I was going to say is what I'm really hearing here is quite a bit of preparation and understanding of how to prepare yourself for an off-road trip. You know, we've been talking about doing a Colorado glamping trip where someone you know went ahead with our gear so we could just ride all day and not think about too much of this mm-hmm. you're shaking your head because you don't like the idea uh i'd like to do that but it's 
uh, that's a different experience. Like it's, Stefan wants to be a filth pig and eat gas station food. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So you can go on the B trip, and I'll be on the A trip where scotch and bacon shows but up it, for me. It, it it almost like kind of goes against the grain of what we're even kind of I talking want to about ride, here. I know what you're saying, but I want to ride motorcycles, and I guarantee you, if we're on a day ride and we meet a point where there's a van that shows up that takes care of some of these things for us. There will still be some adventure involved. It just I'll get to sleep in something a little more comfortable. Regardless, I'm interested in doing it. I'd like to invite some people to go. Are you interested in helping plan it and going on that trip, or does that not sound good to you because you you have to deal with other people on their timelines? No, I think the the two trips you're describing are one doesn't replace the other or try to right. you know be right. the same. Yeah. Right, one yeah. is actually a vacation. The other one is almost like this this challenge. Like this is like climbing Everest or whatever else, yeah. and it's something that you've got to go do for yourself. I did that. I think I'm getting too old to challenge myself. Yeah, in that I mean, way. even after this trip, I did. I, I was thinking about that. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a support vehicle and. There's an air mattress waiting on you. Yeah, and I, you know, be able to go go a little harder on the trail and actually. You and know, know there were some bike. other people there to take care of you. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you do like being able to share with other people and you know experience it together. There's something to be said for that. And the biggest thing there, like, so we haven't talked too much about it, but yeah, I've spent a bit of time doing some adventure riding and did a trip from Minneapolis through the U.S., through Mexico, Guatemala, et cetera, a bunch of stuff. And that trip was done with a group of three of us. So there was me and two other friends. And because I had those two other people with me, we were able to make bad decisions on a regular basis. Very, (laughs) very unprepared. Yeah. Very unprepared. We spent some time preparing. I didn't have to send I didn't have to send anything home and I didn't buy all that much stuff other than a guitar when I was on the trip. But um necessities. Yeah, Wait, necessities. You spent the time preparing. Is so the morning you guys put your shit on your bikes because I mean, there was a CX-500 involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a different story. Like, we, we can get into that in a different time. But um, the, the point of it was is that because I had these two other people there, we were able to make terrible choices in the moment. So when we're sitting in the Guatemalan rainforest in a rainstorm um, and it's pouring and we get this whole group of about 20 people come up the trail that we're on saying, don't go that way. And we look at them and go, uh, okay, and we go that way anyway, which is it felt like the wrong choice it felt like the worst decision we were making but what it produced was this treacherous scary terrifying ride down this ravine down this valley down into the bottom of this basin where all the water's collecting well it's a rainstorm and a rainforest so there's a lot of water that lot of water washed out the bridge which was the only bridge and the terrain going back the other way was unacceptable but some locals had put a few bamboo poles across this washed out bridge and that was just enough they were just wide enough to walk the bike across and that experience for me changed the game like that was such a amazing thing and that's one of my most cherished memories but i wouldn't have been able or willing to do that if i was by myself in fact i needed somebody with bad judgment to push me to go and make this bad choice because Sounds like our partnership yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's parallels all over the place <laughs> but that's the thing is by yourself you do have to protect you do have to guard you do have to be careful and if you have some more people and some more support and some more resources you can make riskier decisions because the consequences yeah. are, are controlled that's what I meant. we could ride harder if there was five or six yep. people involved and there was going to be someone looking for us at the end of the trail and all that yeah, yeah. I, I want to do it. I want you to help plan it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. You you got to write your BMW, though. You can't ride a dirt bike. Sorry. <laughs> uh, It'll take, run really good in the mountains. If we're going to take the van, can we just take multiple bikes? Oh, like, there'll be today. plenty of stuff right. there and a spare. You yeah. can count on that. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. I want to make that happen. I'd love to do that. And, you know, in the spring or fall, 
we keep saying we're going to do it. We, we need to quit talking and do. That's what I'm saying. Andy, are you awake over there? Mm-hmm. All right, well. Are you going to have your tiger ready to go? I have no idea. I'm still looking for him a motor. going to find him one so he doesn't have to put that last one back together. Um, all right, well, I think I'm gonna we're going to wrap. Thanks for, for coming back. Well, hold alive. on. Before, before we do that, I, no, no, no. Oh, Let, let's what, see. What do you have to say? I would like to know um, one one riding technique that, that you, like, anything that you gleaned out of, like, riding. Is there anything that you would suggest to people that are new to dual sporting or adventure riding? Like, what is a technique that they should think about? And then also, um, what was your favorite moment from the trip? Uh, as far as technique goes, it's a, it's a common mantra, of course, that most people know is to be up on the pegs, right? If yeah. you're doing any climbing or anything like that. You Increase control. Yeah, yeah, control. You get your weight on the pegs. You can uh, do a lot more with the bike. But when, uh, and actually one of the best moments was climbing Ofer Pass, which is, it's in Colorado. It goes from Ofer the village. Ophir, I don't ever know how to say that one. But it goes over the pass to uh, 550, which is the million dollar highway. And it's this just really beautiful area, and it goes up to almost 12,000 uh, feet of elevation. And so I start climbing this solo, and it's loose rock, scree, and little ledges, and I'm tired, and I want to sit down, and then the bike starts bouncing all over. And as soon as you get back up on those pegs, like, that's just, you, you put the throttle in, and you just keep climbing. And I'm climbing this, this uh, trail. And I see two bikes ahead of me, and I, I want to catch them so I can kind of talk to them, and because I don't know what I'm getting into. I, I could, you know, fall off the side of this mountain. I don't know how far. If it's going to get worse, because I'm kind of at my limit at this point. Mm -hmm. And I see these guys, and they they have stopped, and I pull up almost next to them, and they take off because they're trying to stay out of my way, right? <laughs> This is a climb where you can't stop. If you stop and hold the front brake, your bike just slides. You have to learn to use That's rear brake. Or, quite steep. Yeah, I mean, there's just you slide. It's down. There's no way to stop unless you're at a switchback. And so uh, they take off, and I, I keep following them again, and they they stop again. And this time I catch them, and turns out it's a, a local guy um, on a on a two stroke. I think four four fifty something. Mm -hmm. KTM? It's probably not that big, but yeah. That's a giant two-stroke, yeah. It was a two-stroke. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, uh, I get up there, and the other rider is a 10-year-old little boy named Zephyr. And he is on a 50cc, and the bike keeps overheating. And so they're stopping to pull snow, and he's packing the radiator. What? Yeah. It's it, one way of getting it cooler for a minute. Yeah, yeah I... I I stop and talk to him, and he's a super nice guy. Sounds um, like they need to put the snow in the radiator, but <laughs> I could be mistaken here. He's, he seemed to know what he was doing, but, uh, you know, I, I talked to him for a bit and explained my trip, and it's the first time his 10-year-old son has been on the pass, and he uh, he cranks the bike up, and the, the father does, cranks the bike up and just wraps it out, and he's like, all right, Zephyr, the, the kid, he calls him Z. He's like, Z, get on there, and he just pin it pin it to win it and a little kid gets on the bike and i have this on video too because i had my gopro rolling and the little kid just fearless just pins it right yeah and he just takes off and then the the father the uh i think his name is daniel he's like you go ahead you know i'll catch up and i'm like 
Uh, I don't. I don't want him to see me try to take. <laughs> I don't want to keep up with this kid either. <laughs> yeah, and, being uh, bested by a ten-year-old on a fifty cc is sort of humbling. Right, right. But I mean, he's fearless. He's also much closer to the ground. Trust me. When I was ten, no fear. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So uh, I'm a scaredy put cat, cat now. But we 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 play leapfrog a few times, and uh, we're almost to the summit, and they're pulled over again, and. I keep on past him, and another nice guy to me, right? He's just, like, cheering me on. Just complete stranger. And he's, like, shouting things at me, like, things like stay on the pegs and stay in it and just keep going. And uh, get to the summit, and there's the sign there, and I park, and the guy comes up with his son. His son makes it, and it's this, like, momentous occasion where we've all made it to the top of this mountain on our bikes, and uh, we've met new people, and then we take pictures and all that stuff, more selfies and all of that. But that by far was the best moment. I mean, it's also the best scenery of the of the whole trip. Yeah, that and, sounds awesome. And, man, you're like I'm. I get goosebumps because I know exactly what you're talking about, and that makes the entire trip. That makes all the suffering. That makes everything you experience completely worthwhile. Yeah. At least it does for me. No, it totally does. Well, you had two questions. There was another one. Well, yeah, it was the stand up. And kind of be on the pegs, be on your balls. Yeah, it was like it was a, a technical the tip, and what, the tip was the best and then what was the yeah. best moment. And yeah. it was, that was perfect. It just kind yeah. of all segues right together. So yeah. Brilliant. That's awesome. Now I want to go somewhere. Yeah. Let's go ride motorcycles. Uh, I don't know how. Could you guys teach me? Sure. You got to keep up. Motorcycles are stupid. <laughs> I keep up. I pass you when you're on the ground. Mm. <laughs> I lose you for a while, hey, but then I find you. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Uh, I, I want to plan it, I, and I mean that I don't even know where to begin with regards to Colorado or headed that direction. But I want to do cooler temps, nice nice passes. Uh, yeah, we've got to we've got to make something happen, and yeah. I want to have scotch at the end of the day. What? You boys like Mexico? <laughs> no. Well, there is talk of moving the handbelt show down to Mexico City, and I'm going to go down there in August and try to do a little, you know, checking. Plus, Becca's going in there for a while. She's going to start looking for venues for us. If that works out, a ride to Mexico City doesn't seem like a bad idea yeah, to me. Pretty good excuse to go down there. Right. We'd I'm, have to, you know. I've also heard that the Copper Canyon, in comparison to the Grand Canyon, could be worth seeing. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, and we've talked about going down to our buddy's place down there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good idea. All right. Well, maybe that. Maybe we do that. Yeah, I've got people in Mexico. You got, We're good. You do have people. Your sister. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, dude, thanks for holding off on the stories. You didn't just repeat these for these guys, did you? No, I think they've heard a few of them, but I appreciate you listening. Uh, dude, I was excited about this. Yeah. You have n- no, seriously, I was I was holding off. I was like, no, 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 I want to wait. I want to wait because there's, you know, to get dedicated time, it takes this for us to sit down. Uh, get, you know, whether the camera's rolling or the mic is rolling or not is kind of irrelevant because it doesn't matter to me. But capturing that, I think that this is something you'll listen back to later, your energy level for it. You know, maybe we should plan this ahead. And next time that is like the day you get back or the day after you get back, we sit down and chat about it when you're still all high and yeah. pumped from it. I mean, I can take another two weeks if you'd like do another trip and come back. No, and do it. because we missed you entirely too much. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're entirely too integral to the team. Sorry. No more vacation. We're changing all that. All right. Andy, you ready to go for a ride? I'm always ready to go for a ride. <laughs> awesome. All right, let's end this like we do the dailies. Thanks, guys. Like, comment, subscribe, follow us. Tell us you love us. Tell us you hate us. 
Go get your hands dirty and ride some fucking motorcycles. Hey guys, if you're listening to this on a uh, uh, podcast or, or wherever y- you have you, you can go find this on our YouTube channel and see a video of this with some visual aids and some photos from uh, our box fantastic trip. Uh, you can also, if you're there on our YouTube channel, check out our dailies, which shows you a bit of our uh, workshop, uh, some tech talks. Uh, Stefan can teach you some stuff, and Andy might even teach you a few things as well. Thanks for watching. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.